Welcome back to Barely Serious. This is episode 86. I'm here with the fucking legend himself, Eric Gumby Anderson. What's up, dude? Well, hello, Galen. Good to see you again. Dude, I haven't seen you in such a long ass time. It, it has been a long time. I think the last time I saw you, I could only see your back. Why is that? Because you were so much faster than me. <laughs> that shit's so funny. Yeah. So how many books have you written? Because I mean, the only two that I know about the, the runner's textbook, which I got right here and then trailblazing which i got right here couldn't fucking find it but all right fine fine send me another copy man (laughs) (laughs) no problem no problem mate um over 20 now i'm not exactly sure myself how do you even write a book well uh, so you have to learn how to spell and how to use (laughs) english language and they have these machines that you use for like typing and things it's bizarre but yeah it's sort of like one step at a time you're wild man but I mean, like, so for trailblazing, like, how did you just decide that you wanted to write a book or like while it was happening, did you start yeah. like, like I got to write this, I got to write this into a book because it was just so crazy. Well, trailblazing's a bit of a different one. Of course, your audience isn't going to know what trailblazing is, is it? Are they? But I'll, um, I'll explain. A percentage of them will. Uh, okay. I, yeah, yeah. I know that Eric and all the kids at the Foundry High School know who you are, even though they probably haven't even met you. No, no, they have. I've run with your brother. Oh, really? No way. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't tell me yeah. about that. Uh, uh, not this summer, but the last summer. Well, what the hell? Why wasn't I there? The last, not last summer, but two summers ago. How do you do that, right? When, when he was going to be a freshman, uh, you know, I, I got to know him and all the other freshmen on the team. And, you know, then I went back to England and thought I'd come out and see him at Christmas time, but that didn't happen. And Right. But, uh, right. So, yeah. And so uh, they've got copies of Trailblazing as well. Well, what the hell, man? I should have asked him to, to borrow it for this, damn it. Like, I, didn't know that, I didn't know that he freaking had it. He probably hasn't read it. All right. Well, so for those who don't know, in 1993, I came out of the closet as America's first openly gay high school coach. I didn't have to come out as being America's best coach. Everybody already just knew that. <laughs> but uh, I was the first openly gay coach and uh, got a lot of publicity. Not all good. And there's a shitload of problems and a lot of violence and all of that. Uh, but the story is really one of how my athletes and I, we, we overcame the prejudice of the day. Now, you know, today, somebody comes out of the closet, you know, homophobia is just not acceptable. And, you know, absolutely yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's whoopty fucking do. What do you, what do you want a medal? You know, <laughs> that's it. We've turned the corner on that one, right? We're like, all gay, bro. We're all gay now. It's like, what pretty much so. Yeah. A lot of my research shows that too, by the way. But um, yeah, so, you know, back then, you know, homosexuality was stigmatized. Today, homophobia is stigmatized. So, you know, it's kind of hard for your, for, you know, people who are under 40 even to, to understand what it was like when, when I was your age. I mean, it was bad. It was really bad. Yeah. And the first time I ever met like a, uh, uh, like a gay couple or like a lesbian couple was through my, through my mom. Like they threw like work or some shit. Like I was like, I was young. I don't remember how old I was, maybe like six or seven, but I remember we were over at their house for like some holiday thing. And I watched these two chicks like kiss and I was like, what the fuck? And like, and then uh, you smiled and thought, do that again. Yeah. Well, no, they weren't pretty, but you know, like, uh, but my mom was like, oh yeah, they're gay. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And then she like explained it. And she was like, you have a problem with that? And I was like, or she was like, do we have a problem with that? And I was like, no. And she's like, no's right. And like, that was, that was it. And I was like, gay people are cool. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, your, your generation was sort of like the transitional generation. Like, so, you know, I came out in 93 okay. and then, um, I left Huntington high in 97 Okay. And I, I turned it around, like the, my team and I, not just me, I mean, all, all of the athletes that I coached, you know, we collectively 
we turned the homophobia around. So by 97, you know, we were a cool team again, that kind of thing. Right. Maybe not exclusively, but we're on, we're on the way. And then what year did you start high school? Uh, 2011. Okay. So, you know, by the time we got to you guys, you know, like homophobia was, was pretty stigmatized, but people weren't really coming out. Right. I right. think I remember, you know, did you know Jordan? Yeah. He was actually yeah. my legacy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, when Jordan came out, it was sort of like the first guy to come out publicly for your team and all that. Um, now today it's no big deal whatsoever and, and everything has changed, but, but trailblazing was a story about how we battled homophobia and how essentially we won the hearts and minds of the people we raced against. And also from the, uh, the football team where we got, you know, where we got most of our crap, but you know, it's a great story and it it's a true story. Great book. It is good, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's kind of riveting. It's, it's a page turner. I mean, I you know I'm boasting myself here, but you know, I haven't, um, I haven't read it in so long. So like everything's going based off memory, but I pretty much remember the whole thing. Like it's like, who was the, uh, the athletic director, like Staunton, Naughton or. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. Staunton. Uh, was Staunton, principal all right. High school. Yeah. Well, and even, principal. you know, and this guy, you know, he fought me tooth and nail. And then in the end, he kind of looked around and was like, shit, what have I done here? You know, this, have this you made amends with that dude? Have you, have you seen him since? No, he, uh, at the end of the book, he came to one of our meets. He came to the Orange County Championship meet. Um, and I think he was just kind of blown away by the whole thing and the relationship that have with the athletes. And, and there was an apology at, the, at that point there. And, um, and, you know, and then sort of he went off and became the head of CIF for, for years. Uh, yeah. And uh, he's retired. And quite interestingly now, I think he teaches at, uh, there's a, like a Christian school out there, Vanguard, I think it is. Oh, no or, way. I know where that is. That's Costa Mesa. Yeah, it's either Vanguard or the one in Irvine, um, not UCI, but the um, IBC. Yeah, uh, no, no, no. It's not a community college. It's another sort of like a Christian college out there somewhere. But anyway, and I think he teaches sport something or other. Um, of course, oh, now I'm a professor, and you know he's a a lecturer. Do you think? In other people- words, I'm a big deal, and he's not. <laughs> When you, when you came out and you said you guys were getting like a lot of press, some good, some bad. I remember that there was this news interview uh, and I couldn't find it just now, but uh, where I just remember it. Cause there was this, uh, I don't remember anything you said during it, but I remember you just looked like young as shit. And there was this like fat black guy that looked like Biggie Smalls. So it was like throwing up like gang signs or whatever behind you. Yeah, you pretty much so. Kid? Do you know that kid? Yeah. No, I don't know. No. You're just some kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea who he was. He was just like, ah, news cameras. Why were they there? Like they were just like, it was that big of a deal that there was people, the news fucking showed up. Yeah. So, well, yeah, it was, it was huge. I mean, so one of my athletes was, you know, straight guy was tailed by some of the football players from the team. So same, you know, same high school, Huntington high. Right. Right. And, and he was tailed by these three football players and basically they, you know, they followed him home and, and this kid went inside one of his friend's house. They played some video games or whatever we played with back then sticks and stones, I imagine. And then, uh, you know, he came out from the car, he came out from the house to get in his car and he got jumped by these three football players. And I mean, the guy beat the living crap out of him, broke four facial bones. Just because you were gay? Because I was gay. Yeah. What? Yeah. I know. I I mean, it's- I would have been pissed. I would have been pissed. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's beyond belief. Now let's, you know, let's be honest. These guys didn't like each other as well. Right. But, you know, the, the homophobia that came from the guy's mouth- uh, you know, it was a clear hate crime. Um, and he, and he split my athletes, um, upper jaw open, like the palate broke it in half. And even today, this guy's got metal screws that hold his upper 
body, you know, his upper mouth together. Um, so it was a, it was a seriously violent assault. It wasn't just like a fight. I mean, it was a seriously, seriously violent assault. Um, and, uh, the Huntington beach police department wrote it up as mutual combat. Not, you know, you guys don't know what that means, but it, it means nobody's at fault. Um, right. even though the law clearly says you can only defend yourself and use every homophobic language, it wasn't a hate crime. It wasn't this, it wasn't that, you know, it was just, you know, described as sort of a fight, which it wasn't. And, uh, yeah. And so that, what that did is that brought the press to the high school. And so that's when you saw me being interviewed and, you know, and I, I still, I look at it now and I go, man, I was young. <laughs> like, yeah, you had glasses. Had glasses on and these puffy pants. And it's like, what was wrong with the nineties? How old were um, you um, in 1993 as the coach? Uh, 25. That's young. Yeah, it is, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it seems, you know, I didn't come out until I was 25. So, right that's a lot of painful years. That's a lot of wasted years in many ways. So they, they were torturous years. So it didn't, I didn't feel like I was young. Uh, but now I look, now I'm 52. I look back and I go, shit, you were young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good looking. What happened to you? Now, as far as like memory goes, like when you think about like these times, like how like clear, like are your memory? Of- oh, it's there. Really? It, it's imprinted. I, I think it's very much so like, I suffered PTSD for years because of it. Um, I, I wake up in the middle of the night. I call them coaching dreams. And they were, they were usually something, some sort of dream where, uh, you know, the athletes that I coached were being, um, you know, not, not always assaulted. Not every dream is the same. Right. But there was, this, there was something. And, and I was like helpless to protect them kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, for years and years and years. And, um, and then those, those dreams sort of faded into – less violent dreams and just more sort of like missing the whole coaching thing dreams. Right. Um, they turn sort of like a longing, you know, to kind of be back where I was. Um, although my life has gotten way better and I've gone on to do <laughs> way better things. Um, I think at heart, I'll always be a high school coach without a doubt. I mean, it's, 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 it was a joyful thing for me. I just love, I just love it. And, you know, as you talk to the kids at the team at Fountain Valley, I, you know, I come out to North every summer, you know, they'll tell you that, you know, I just love being out there. Now, what, what connected you to Fountain Valley? It was Martin, right? Yeah, of course, you know, I have a house right near Fountain Valley High. Like, That's right. That's right. You know, not even a mile from the school, something like that. Um, and one day I was driving down the street, you know, I saw all the runners out there on the track and I was just like, oh, like, you know, <laughs> wish I was running, wish I was coaching, you know. And then I saw this fat guy in the middle of the field and I thought, what fat guy do I know that would be coaching distance runners? Oh, that that's gotta be Martin Pinnell. Um, and of course, you know, uh, you know, Martin and I go way back to, uh, yeah, back to the nineties, early nineties. And, um, yeah, we were good friends. I helped Martin had a, had, um, well, he had some difficult times in high school and, uh, I was there for him back then. So he's been there for me and we've been good friends ever since. Yeah. Cause um, yeah. So that, that was the connection. I started coaching Fountain Valley and, and Martin left and then it was a whole parade of coaches that you know <laughs> yeah. that come through that I've, that I've stayed to know the latest is Knowles um and yeah and I just you know I, I just stay in touch with them all and then come out every summer and run down the street and hang out with the guys coach Knowles has kind of always been there because he was like the hurdling coach they needed some other stuff so he was like always there he actually coached me in little league when I was like like little little because he, yeah him and my dad went to high school together like yeah see yeah yeah so i see i see him chatting away on facebook arguing over politics and stuff 
Yeah. <laughs> Your dad's yeah. hyper liberal. Knowles is pretty conservative and you know. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong. I remember that um, when Martin had his accident, you guys had like fundraised, like do some invitational. And instead of doing the meet, you guys donated the money to like his hospital bills. Is that true? That's true. Yeah. We, um, my team, we raised a lot of money for the team. Uh, I think the year prior to that, we had, we had traveled to Pennsylvania on the money to go to Penn Relays. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. We, you know, you know, essentially we raised the money for ourselves and then El Toro had that incredibly tragic accident that Mark right. was involved in and Tomas Mojia died as a result of it. And, um, and yeah, the medical bills were astounding and, you know, and the, there's all sorts of problems with it. So yeah, we, um, we donated all the money that the team had in their, in their coffers that year and donated to that. So did you guys get um, like a tax write-off? <laughs> <laughs> nonprofit anyhow, but yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. I remember him, uh, it was, uh, you know, the I'm surprised you knew about that. Cause you know, we didn't tell anybody about that. We didn't go around saying, look how great we are. We donated all our money to, to the Tomas Mejia fund. What, how, how did you even know about that? Uh, there's a lot of stuff you might not know that I know. No, this, uh, it was Martin. I remember, uh, Martin and I were close. So like, it just came out one day, uh, we were talking about it, but I remember, uh, the Redondo beach invitational. This was my freshman year. I was just about to race the two miles that it was the two day meet. So it was the, the, the first day. I don't know why Martin even showed up. He shows up and he's like, telling me about, he's like, this is like, I'm kidding you not. I've already warmed up. I'm like ready to like walk over to check in. And he's telling me this story about like, there's, yeah, there's like this super talented, like runner, like back and like blah, blah, blah. And he like tells me this story. And at the end, he like uh, says that he's like, they collided heads and that's how the kid died by like Martin pretty much like essentially killed him on accident. Uh, and, and he was like, I was like, what the hell? And I'm like about to go like check in, like what the hell? And then he was like, oh yeah. And then he like grabs my hand and like makes me feel his head. And like, I felt, felt all the screws in his head. And he was like, oh, go have a good race. I was like, what the fuck, man? Like, like, you can't, I don't remember how I did, but I was like, that's some Martin ass timing, dude. I was like, what the hell? But, and so then I think I just, after that, we must've talked about it. And then that's how it came to light. But yeah, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, it was a pretty horrific accident, uh, and you know, yeah, Martin got, Martin got, you know, dinged up pretty. I mean, he was in a bad way. Yeah, and obviously, Tomas was in the worst way. He he was in a coma for God knows how long. Years. Oh, he didn't. He didn't just a year. Yeah, and then died. Yeah, and at the beginning, there was a bit of hope that maybe you know, because he was like, it was not a totally unresponsive coma, like there was something happening there. And so there was some, well, at first it was a coma and then he sort of started to come out of it and there was something happening there. And it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, you want to see, so you think, you know, you say something to him and he responds. So you think maybe he's heard you, um, you but then by response, it, like his finger moved or like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. He didn't then, just like open up an eye and be like, what's up? Or like, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. Um, yeah. And then, and then his progress just stopped and then, yeah. And then he died sometime later after considerable care and heartache on all parts. So difficult, difficult stuff. Yeah. That's crazy. But so Martin, yeah. and I both, you know, I, Martin had that horrible experience in high school. Right. Uh, and then I had at the same time, basically I had this coming out saga and uh, we both had, you know, we both had a good sense of humor and, you know, we used <laughs> to banter with each other all the time. I used to call him donut boy and, you know, <laughs> So you started it. I see. Yeah. Oh man, God, 
you know, I used to make fun of him all the time because he was just, he just ate like shit. And I was like, yeah. dude, you're in high school now and you're thin, but you know, that's not going to last. And he used to, we used to race all the time and he'd always beat me. I've never once beat Martin in my life. I could beat him now, but he won't race me. Um, <laughs> he even bought a t-shirt that said powered by donuts. Yeah. Um, like, so yeah, just to make fun of me. And, uh, and every year, like Fountain Valley, whenever I'd race, we'd have, you know, we'd have the donut, you know, we'd race for the donut. Yeah. Um, he always ate the damn donut. Um, and now I'm kind of like glad, maybe I'm glad I was slower than him because, you know, I'm still, I weigh my high school weight. I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he would tell us about how like uh, he would eat like half a pizza and then get on the line. I was like, dude, you're insane, bro. Yeah, but yeah, he's a pretty insane guy. That Found Valley connection's cool because I remember that uh, I remember the first time I ever met you. I, it's weird because I don't really remember. Like uh, I was at this party uh, with at one of my friend's friend's parties and I was there and I was like awkwardly standing next to some guy like after the person that I knew like like went to go meet other people or whatever the fuck it was. So I kind of yeah. see the guy and I was just like, oh, like, hey, like my name's Galen. You know, just kind of break the awkward like like silence. The guy was like, I know I've met you literally four times. And I was like, oh, fuck, you know, like be more memorable, you know, like that's not my fault, but well, I don't really remember the first or second time I meet people, but I specifically remember the first time I met you, we were running, uh, we were running to the riverbed and we ran, or we were running mile square. All I remember is we were on the Slater overpass running up yep. and you were talking to whoever the shit you were talking to that you already knew. And there you were like talking about like, Oh yeah, that dude's hot or like whatever. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, I didn't like, and then you like, you're like, Oh, I'm gay. Like I said something and you're like, Oh, I'm gay. And I was like, Oh, cool. You know, <laughs> it's just like, and that was the first time we ever met. I was just like, Oh shit, no way. So I was like, why is this random old dude talking about like how hot some guys are or some shit? And I was just like, it sounds like me. <laughs> sounds like something I do. But it's crazy because you kind of like took me under your wing. I remember you, uh, you got me a Garmin, uh, and I remember that that Garmin died. Uh, remember was, that? He was a yeah, a pasta party, and that kid threw a. It was such a freak accident. He threw a sunscreen bottle and just happened to hit right on the face of the watch. Uh, and then I made the kid like give me like four hundred bucks, and I used that to buy a bike. <laughs> and then that bike got <laughs> stolen. Like, <laughs> but. Which is funny you because almost, it was almost profited from it, but no. <laughs> I could have, I could have, because it, it, it was, I could have got another one, but I was like, you know what would be good around a bike from Walmart? That would be, that would be primo. And then it got I stolen. Going, I remember going to buy that at Snail's Paste. I was like, what the hell are these things? You know, I felt so old. I'm like, you know, I, I remember, you know, when a digital watch first had memory to it and you could save a lap time. And I had like <laughs> the big one, it could save like 16 splits wow you know not that was amazing you know and then uh yeah, what, you know what the hell is this freaking computer you've got on your wrist and in fact i still didn't have a gps located running watch until a year ago when i got the apple watch oh hell yeah so yeah i was just like what do you need that thing for and of course now i love it right you know oh, i ran 4.27 miles today that's crazy yeah i remember, I remember that i remember taking you to um soup plantation with my kids and you were throwing shit at my kids what? I don't remember that. <laughs> we went to Sioux Plantation. My kids were um, probably about a year old, maybe. Yeah, no, they would have been um, either just little babies or a year old. Um, and uh, yeah, we were eating Sioux Plantation. And you were like throwing peas <laughs> at the kids. At your kids? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> this is Galen Nash. He does these things. He flushes things down toilets and things like that, too. You yeah. know? And, uh, <laughs> 
Oh, you're you know? on the cell phone. Yeah. And, and my husband was just like, the hell is it? You told me this guy was cool. You know, he's throwing peas at the kid. I'm like, well, you know, it's not like the kids know that he's throwing something at them. They're probably just like, ooh. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. That's good. No? I feel like you're making that up. I feel like you're making that. I need Grant to come in and confirm uh, that. You, know, you do not want me to bring it ground. Be like, that's the guy who threw peas at my. That's crazy. But it kind of it it bridges into like uh because back then I wasn't even like that fast. I just kind of, you know, I fucked around. I would ditch ditch practice. Like, yeah. I mean, I didn't even think myself that I had potential, but I think it's crazy because like in your book, uh Trailblazing, you talk about uh you kind of forefront each runner's like little backstory of how you got them on the team and stuff. Uh, and like for one of them, I remember it specifically, you were, um, you just saw some kid like running in the rain or some shit. And then he was like European or some crap. And you like, you just saw that he had talent. Uh, like where, like, do you, have you always just had that eye to like spot that out? I'm not saying that I'm the talented one. I'm just saying that like, well, you, were like talented. Yeah. you knew yeah, something that nobody knew yet. Yeah. I mean, you were talented. There's no doubt about it, but you were also slightly troubled. <laughs> and that's why I took you under my wing was, you know, to sort of keep you. I remember, I, you probably don't remember, but I remember saying like, you've got real talent in making people laugh. I don't remember that. You don't, oh yeah. So it was in the locker room, right? I felt like, you know, I remember this because I felt like I shouldn't be there, right? Some you Jerry Sandusky shit. Wash somebody's mobile phone, or what do you call them in the US? Cell phone. You'd, you'd flush somebody's cell phone down the toilet. Do you remember doing that? Yeah. So it wasn't somebody's, it was, it was a random cell phone that I, some, I don't know how, but I found it on top of the lockers and I turned it on and like, I called nine one one and like, I answered it. And then I hung up the phone. I was with Tucker Francisco and uh, they called back and I was like, Oh shit. Like I didn't realize. And so we, I was like, the best idea is just to flush it down the toilet. So I flushed it down the toilet. <laughs> you watch too much home alone or something, but uh <laughs> But I remember like, I was like, yeah, this guy needs a little, he needs, and I remember saying to you, dude, you're funny. You just got to learn when to use that humor and when not to use that humor. So right. You don't get yourself into trouble. So I was trying to, you know, sort of like keep you on the straight and narrow, not the totally straight and narrow, but you know, the, uh, you know, a little bit more of a straight path than the, you know, <laughs> so yeah, I, you probably, you don't even know this, but I had like an hour long phone call with your dad and all, all that. Really? To, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that at all. Yeah, I'm trying to, you know, trying to be a good influence on you. Well, I want what I wanted to do was accept you for all of the things that you are, right? Because well, you're you seem like off. a menace, you know. <laughs> you were a bit of a menace, yes. <laughs> um, but you know, you know, you had talent. And look, we're not wrong, are we? Look where you are today. Look what you do. For real. So you know. You learn that balance, didn't you? you? You know, when to be controversial and when not. It's not always easy to do. I screw up all the time in this one. So I don't know if I was a great mentor in that capacity, but. Being yeah. controversial? Yeah. Yeah, that shit was, that That actually reminded me of, uh, I, don't, I don't even remember the class. I'd have to go through, uh, I had this teacher and I had her for like four straight semesters at Cal State Long Beach. Yeah. Miss uh, Ingrid DeSanto. She's actually been to a few shows. She's super cool. Nice. Uh, we're friends you know it's it's cool and um but it was one of those where she was like oh like i'm not teaching whatever is next in line for the the trajectory that i had because it just happened to be that she taught along that trajectory she's like okay. well it's only like a, a three-part trajectory now i have to restart back to with new kids on where you met me like the first 
first time and then it's, you know, three, three, one, two, three. Uh, and she's like, but I'm also teaching this class that will count towards whatever this is, but it's not part of your like, you know, trajectory for history. And so I was yeah. like, yeah, fuck it. Like I'll take it. And, and it was like, it was, oh, it was men and masculinity or some crap like that. And so we're, we're just sitting in class. I'm just on my phone, not paying attention because I knew that she was going to pass me. Uh, and uh, I don't think I learned a yeah. damn thing in that. And we're just watching some video and I'm just, I'm literally sitting on my phone and I just recognized your voice. And I was like, there's no fucking way right now. And I look up and there you are just arguing with like a bunch of people on, in like some, like, it was like, like a, it was almost like a lecture hall setting. Yeah. Uh, and you were just arguing with these fools. And I was like, no fucking way. I know that guy. And she was like, what, like, oh, what do you mean? Like, blah, blah, blah. And she like, cause she knew who you were. And I was just like, no, like I, like, I know that I've been to his house. I know that guy, you know, it was, it was so crazy. Uh, and then like, I sent you like a video of it and you're like, Oh, like, and it just never came, came to, came through, uh, like the timing wise to get you to like FaceTime into class or whatever, but that would have been dope. Uh, would have gotten a, a B instead of a C, but whatever. That would have been cool. Yeah. <laughs> what it must've been clever. She's like, Hey, this guy's a, you know, cause I'm pretty well known in my field. Right. And uh, she, but she, she probably knew I'm in England. She probably like, how do you, how the fuck do you know this guy? He lives in England, you know. And so we talked was, after I remember, class. I remember, like, I knew You're not the only one that's had that happen. I've had that happen from you know students at other universities as well. Like you know, some of the runners go off and they're like, hey, my teacher's using your stuff in class, and you know, <laughs> pretty cool, small world. That was just the craziest to me because I just didn't like. I knew that you're in like that, but I never like it didn't like register at all until I just like heard your voice and I was like, Oh shit, that's right. Right. You know, <laughs> it wasn't just, that's crazy. Um, it's going to be on TV. <laughs> what was that? What was that for? So uh, out here, there's this debate show. Uh, I forgot what they call it, but you know, the big debate or something like, cause you know, the British, the British are so very clever with their words, right. You know, right. A big debate. <laughs> and, um, and it was, uh, it was about feminism and it was like, um, basically, you know, the, the hardcore feminists and then the hardcore anti-feminists and then sort of me in the middle going, you're all just nuts. <laughs> you know? like, you're all crazy. Like, you know, I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. And uh, yeah, so that, that's what it was. I was the, um, you know, I was the esteemed academic on the panel when the others were all just sort of like these activist types with, you know, their agendas. I can't remember like specifics from it, but I do remember you were like clapping their cheeks. Cause I remember after, after we watched the video, we had to like write like a, a paper about it and then discuss it. And like everybody like in the class would, they wouldn't, they weren't even like referring to you by your name. They're like, Oh yeah. The kid that they're the guy that Galen knows that he made like blah, blah, blah. And so like pointing out your points that you weren't Eric Anderson. You were just the guy that I knew. And it was the just. That Galen knows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the guy that Galen knows, aren't you? Yeah. That's me. I'm the guy that Galen knows. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into this then. I have a question down here. What is, cause I don't remember it. What is toxic masculinity? Well, it's bullshit is what it is. It is. Okay. All right. Bullshit. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, I'll give you the, sort of the, the short version here, right? Okay. Yeah. Men have been constructed in the, in the, okay. So go, go back to 1880, right? Okay. Men are working in, um, you know, incredibly dangerous coal mines and factories. Uh, and then he hit 1914 and they're off fighting wars and ridiculous mud trenches. And so we train men to be, you know, really stoic and, and violent and risk-taking and to, you know, to sacrifice their body for the sake of family and all that kind of stuff, right? 
and right. use sport as a way to do this, right? As we, we use lots of other things too, but organized competitive team sports emerge in this time as a way to do this. Because before that, we didn't give a crap about sport. Right? You know, we, who, who the hell had time to do sport anyhow, right? So the sport became this way to really masculinize boys. So then we expect that and we send them off to fight and die in war. We don't send women off to fight and die in war, right? Right. Just the boys. And, uh, you know, women get to stay at home and be in their safe spaces away from all of the violence of society and the coal mines and the, all of that, right? And, you know, they don't have freedom, but, you know, they've got safety, right? Where men have the freedom, but, you know, not really because they were chained to the family and, you know, so stuff is complicated. At any rate, as you go throughout the course of the 20th century, uh, what we need from men in the workforce begins to change. We don't need men to go off and work in hard labor because we've got machines to do it. And, you know, we don't need standing armies to go fight wars because we've got drones to do it. And so today, um, what we need for men to be is like service providers and to be social and emotional and to be nice people and, you know, and all that. And so what's happened is men have gotten over the last 20 years, men have lost their homophobia and they become very gay friendly. They become incredibly emotional with each other. Uh, they have bromances. They say, I love you, which is something they never did before. Uh, my research shows that young straight men um, in universities, you know, they're kissing each other. They're saying, I love you, mate. They're hugging each other. Over here in the UK, straight guys are sleeping in beds together and cuddling each other. Um, and there's, they're very physical with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Believe it or not. Yeah, totally. I just um, like to save money or like. Just cause they, cause they love their best mates and you know, they, they go off, they go to, go to party, they get drunk together. They come back, they crash in the same bed. Of course it is colder over here. So part of it's a warmth thing. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's, it's ubiquitous. Uh, they right. all do like this is, we're not talking about a one-off thing. I'm talking about, this is a standard thing that, that 18 to 21 year old uh, actually starts way younger than 18, but that, that teenage boys do is standard over here. Um, and so the same time that, that men are treating girls like equally. Right. And at the same time that they've lost their homophobia in the same time, the violence is dropping dramatically. Men are smoking less than ever before. They're having sex less than ever before. Um, they're doing all of the things that women have wanted men to do. They're more engaged with their kids. They're better fathers. Like men are doing better and better all the time. Right. Right. And at the exact same time that men are doing all of these amazing changes, the far left um, comes out with this idea of toxic masculinity, which is to say that, you know, men are horrible and toxic and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you're saying you're using that now, now that men are changing, you know, you're, you're using this now. And I also say it's bullshit because um, it's, it's a catch all phrase that, you know, it's, they say, well, you know, it's, it's only a type of masculinity for certain people. And I'm saying, replace that with any other descriptor, like, you know, um, you know, toxic black male or, you know, uh, or, uh, you know, irrational femininity or, um, you know, anything like that, right? And you would go, you're sexist, you're racist, you're this, you're that, you're stereotyping. Right. But when it comes to men, uh, particularly white men, straight white men, um, it's sort of like open season to, to do this. And so, you know, so it's not an academic thing. It's, com it's wholly unfair. Uh, it's, nobody knows exactly what it means. It's just this thing that the far left has come up with to essentially piss on men. Um, yeah, that's it. So yeah, it's crap. It's crap. 
That is crazy because I was just I, I play Call of Duty and I was playing today and there's this chick on the other team and every once in a while there's like girls in the game and like she was she was good uh, and so she kept saying ha like you're losing to a girl like you're losing to a girl like all this stuff and I was like who cares you, you're yeah, good at the, like, the video game you know you're good at the yeah. game like it doesn't matter you're just a like on my screen you're just a fucking name I don't see you like, yeah you know, like, I I just thought it was interesting because it's like I thought you wanted to be like equal but at the same time you're making a point that you're not like it's it's so weird to me yeah and so the thing i say is like you know people say well you know when somebody does this it's toxic toxic masculinity and i say oh no actually there's words for all of these things like oh they're being patronizing oh call we call that being patronizing oh they're uh you know they're being aggressive they're being aggressive <laughs> like you know oh, what, <laughs> he pushed you oh he's being aggressive not toxic masculinity right and so it's like, we already have words to describe bad behaviors, words that anybody can partake in, including women. And right. yet, you know, we're, we're sort of lumping all these bad things together and calling them toxic masculinity. And it's like, you know, how the, how the hell is that not just pure outright anti-male language? And of course, that's what it is. It's anti-male language. Is that even like a thing? Like nobody really even cares, you know, like about guys really, you know what I mean? You're right. Yeah, I, I have this issue all of the time, like, um, so, you know, people say, so first of all, there's a re, uh, you know, sort of a whitewashing of history, right? So they say, you know, well, women didn't have the right to vote. And that is true, but most men did neither. It was only the gentry class. It was the landowners that had the right to vote with voting came, you know, it came responsibilities with voting. Um, and I'm not saying that everybody shouldn't have the right to vote. Clearly they should. Um, but what we have today is we have a, a culture which values women's lives more than values men's lives. So, you know, why is it today on your 18th birthday, men have to go and sign up for the selective services, sign up for the draft. Why, why do they have to do that? Why don't women get to do that? Why don't women get recruited and fight the wars? I don't why is it only I men who get drafted? What's that? I don't think I did that because there was, there was for something we had to like look it up and see, and I just never did that. Maybe it's conscious. Well, technically, if you, if you file as a conscientious, conscientious objector, then you're all right, but you got to kind of prove that. But if you don't, technically you can be arrested for not filing with the selective services. Yeah. Right. So, but here's another one for you. If a male commits a crime, this has been studied over and over and over again, then he is far more likely to go to jail for longer periods of time than when a female commits the exact same crime over and over again, exact same crime, male versus female, Judges go, oh, that poor girl, what happened to her to make her do that? And she right. gets off. Whereas the men get absolutely lambasted, right? So, so you have that. Then you have, you have divorce issues where uh, women just absolutely destroy men in terms of getting child in child custody. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real problem. Uh, you know, the courts just favor the women uh, over men. And, you know, the proportionality of it is completely off. So there's all these ways that women are actually advantaged in society that they don't want to recognize. And what they do do is they say, they say, well, yeah, but you know, there's, there's 200 chief executive officers in the fortune 500 companies in this country or whatever, you know, and only 20 of them are female. But what they don't say is all of the shit jobs in life. I call them dad jobs, dirty and dangerous. They're all done by men. There's 2,500 occupational deaths a year in the United States. 
people dying just as a job of doing their natural jobs, like, you know, climbing electricity poles to fix things when they go wrong or picking up the garbage cans or working on the side of the freeways or demolishing bombs or running in after the snipers and shooting after them or running up buildings and trying to save kids from burning fires and, you know, all of these sorts of things. And it's men who die in these positions at rates of 93% compared you just, to women. You just, did you just pull that 93 out of your ass? Or no, is that, I didn't. That's Actually, real? No. That's real? Yeah. Okay. You made it seem like you were just making it up. I just yeah, wanted no, to. No, no, no. It, really, it really is. And um, and so you know, where do we hear the outcry of why don't we hear feminists say we need more women picking up the garbage, we need more women climbing electricity poles, we need more women, you know, running into the burning buildings, we need more women doing these highly incredibly dangerous jobs and the incredibly low paid jobs, the outdoor low paid manual labor jobs. Nobody ever says, shit, look at men. They're in these shit positions. Because here's the reality with men. Men are disproportionately represented in what I call top jobs, top of pay, T-O-P, top of pay. CEOs, businessmen, right? Of course, the way they got there is by taking incredible risks. CEOs aren't, aren't there by luck, right? They've worked right. incredibly hard, right? They work ridiculous hours and they've taken huge risks to get there. And so they are represented at the top of the pyramid, and then they are overrepresented at the bottom of the period of pyramid, the dad jobs, the dirty and dangerous jobs. Women are represented in what I call slice jobs, safe, lower income employment. So they work indoors, they work steady jobs, they're not dangerous jobs, they tend to work with people. I'm not critiquing that, right? I'm right. absolutely not critiquing that. But what I am saying is, if anybody is going to say, we need more women to be CEOs, then they also need to back it up and say, and we need more women to work the dirty and dangerous jobs for underpaid labor. And they never say that. And that's <laughs> what bothers me. They only want women to have the nice jobs, right? They don't want women to have the crap jobs. That's a fair point. I don't think I've actually even heard that before. They don't know. And you know, why don't we advocate for women to be drafted alongside men? Why don't we advocate for men and women to have equality of outcome in a, uh, you know, in the judicial system, why aren't they advocating for that? How about this? Uh, you know, um, there are 4,500, and this is not a joke, there are 4,500 domestic shelter violence, domestic shelters for, hang on, shelters for domestic <laughs> violence in America, right? Okay. 4,500 institutions where women can go when they are, um, you know, when they're, you know, domestically violated with violence. There's a lot of V's in there. There are none for men. And yet domestic violence is equal. Everybody thinks that, you know, he, he's a wife beater. We don't right. even have a for husband beater. That doesn't even sound right. But the reality is, is women abuse their husbands to the same percentage. And this, we've had these stats for decades. And this is not just, you know, we're not just talking stats are made up. We're talking about centers of disease control, FBI. We're talking, you know, right. real stats here, right? Um, the difference is, is, you know, women will they'll just they'll they get off right yeah you know, i was uh, a domestic abuse situation where they're both hitting each other and the man goes to jail not the woman i uh, i recorded this guy yesterday and he's he moved out of this place because his two roommates who have a six-year-old kid so this girl uh like he was talking about all the times the cops had to show up to their their, their place because the well first of all the girl tried to like kill herself like he had to like clean up all her blood but she got arrested for beating up that dude before and then she got arrested again for beating up that dude they're still together and like every time like she would literally just spend like a couple days in jail she'd be back 
she beat him up. She got arrested for it like two times. And I think that's crazy because if a dude did that two times. Yeah, he'd be gone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so we just don't, we don't have enough empathy for men. When, when something bad happens to a male, we just, we don't have the same level of empathy for them. Um, and so, yeah, it's the other side of the coin. Uh, you know, I'm not opposed to everybody having equal opportunity and I'm not opposed to women having equality. You know, we, we should all be treated the same. But when you demand that one sex is promoted and you don't demand that they're demoted to be equal, well, then you're making claims for privileged positioning, not for equal positioning. That's crazy. How did you, how did you get involved like with all of this? This is a good question, right? Cause you know, I hated straight guys. <laughs> I hated straight men. Like, I mean, obviously I was closeted. So I was pretending to be one myself, but you know, as a growing up in the eighties, uh, as being a teenager in the eighties, the homophobia was beyond belief, absolutely beyond belief. So, and, and like, so if you were closeted in what way would you like observe it? You would hear the word fag anywhere from three dozen to a dozen, dozen times a day. Uh, a dozen, dozen, no, 144. Yeah, you would. Um, Actually describing gay people or just like anything? So at first it was gay people. Like, for example, if you look at the Simpsons, you know, Bart right. Simpson became famous in 1988 for saying, you suck, man. Right? Yeah. And everybody was like, whoa, like that was, <laughs> that's on TV. Because where that came from, came from the earlier 80s where you suck was uh, was to say you're gay and you actually commit the act. And it was, it, you know, it was actually not about, right. I don't know how it was fellatio. I don't know how, I don't know what PG level your audience is here, but. Oh um, no, this is rated R to the max. You could be cussing this whole time. Okay. So you suck meant, you know, that you suck dick. You're right. such a fag that you suck dick. Right. Right. Um, and so, you know, that when Bart Simpson started to say it, you know, all the kid, all the youth were like, whoa, <laughs> But, you know, the, the way they passed it off is what it just meant you're bad at something, right? And so now today, we say you suck and it has no meaning like that whatsoever, right? I didn't know then, that. Yeah, so you didn't know that. Back then, the word fag meant gay. That's it, right? Right. Um, and it pretty much still does, right? And the word gay started in the 90s, like, oh, my God, that's so gay. And that was definitely an anti-gay thing. But today, you say, that's so gay. And it has no association with, oh, my God, that test was so gay, right? Or that, <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. gay, right? You know, today it's lost that association, but back then it absolutely was. So I hated straight men, right? And then, uh, you know, come out of the closet, have all the homophobia. That doesn't really help my perspectives much, but um, went off, did a PhD, studied masculinities. And these masculinities scholars were just like so anti-male. And, uh, you know, so I kind of, you know, I got into this stuff, you know, you, you know, got, you know, I got the slaps on the pats on the back from the big wigs, right? In my field of masculinities, like, oh yeah, you know, here's, you know, here's the up and up and coming one. And, and, um, and then I started to see different results in my research. I started researching openly gay athletes and seeing that actually they weren't being fucked with the way I was, um, that they, you know, they're having decent experiences and that made me go, well, wait a minute, that means that the teammates are being cool. Um, and so then I started studying straight men and their masculinity and I charted for years, like how they got softer and nicer and more inclusive and, and all of that. How would and you then I realized that? that today who, who was being messed with was not the gay men, you know, well, gay men are sometimes, but not often. Um, it was, it was straight men. It was like straight men were being, you know, sort of bullied around by dominant culture. 
And so I became an advocate for straight men. And so today I'm, I'm the world's expert on studying young straight masculinities, which is why your teacher was talking about me. And it just got <laughs> me into this, you know, I've become like, you know, I'm the gay defender of straight guys, you know? <laughs> How would you go about your research? Like, what do you mean when you say like research, like just observations over periods of time? Yeah. So multiple forms of research. Some of it's, you know, stuff people are familiar with, like, take my survey, right? You know, and how do you identify? What are your views on this? And that kind of thing, right? And some of it is I go out to a team and I, so for example, I go out to a, a soccer team and um, I'll just give you one. I went out to a soccer team for a Catholic college in the American Midwest. And I go out there for a week and I hang out with the guys and I do everything they do. When they go to a party, I go to a party. When they go to a dance club, I go to a dance club. When they go play soccer, I go play soccer. When they go to school, well, okay, well, I sit in my office and, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, you know, I just hang out. I become one of them. I become immersed with them. You know, I'm good at this because like, you know, look how friendly I was with all you guys. Right. Like, right. Like, right. Now it's harder now. Uh, you know, this was 20 years ago. I was doing this, but it's harder now um, because, you know, the gray hair and, you know, I've got <laughs> people are like who brought their dad, you know, <laughs> um, but for a long time, I, I looked really young when I, even up until 40, I looked really young. So I was out doing all of this research. So that's another way. So I like literally get into the worlds. And that's why I started to see guys cuddling together. And I was like, these two straight guys are sleeping in the same bed together, holding each other. Like nobody <laughs> ever talks about this. This is not in the research, right? So I started doing that. I became a fraternity advisor for three years. I was at a fraternity house at UCI and I was, yeah, everything they did, I did. So I really got to see their inside world. And then I just do like interviews with people, you know, I go to a team and I just interview all of them. And then observations and, you know, so all sorts of different ways that I would do this research. But collectively, the picture was that young straight guys were becoming nicer, softer, more inclusive, more tacked up with each other, saying I love you, having bromances, um, you know, all of that. And so I charted all of that. And I went against all of the people who were saying how awful young straight guys are. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, you, I know that that's what the old research says, but that is just not true anymore. And of course, I took my lumps for that. Feminists did not want to hear this, right? Um, right. And so that's why I've become, I've become one of these people who, um, well, I shit my own wheelhouse is the expression, right? You know, I, I told all of the people who raised me up, um, you're wrong. And then they dump me and they hate me, but then I've gone on to prove them wrong. And now I'm the big name and they're not. And so there's that. <laughs> What do you, how do you feel about, uh, Joe Rogan talks about this sometimes. How do you feel about like transgender athletes? Okay. So this is a tough situation, right? So I think, um, you know, with gay male athletes, there's no questions here. People are like, yeah, so what, who cares? Right. You know, it used to be, they'd say, oh, well, what if he's checking me out in the locker room and people go, oh, I'm, I'd be uncomfortable if he was checking me out in the locker room. And then today young straight guys are going, oh my God, he finds, he doesn't find me attractive. Am I ugly? Oh my God. You know, <laughs> if, there's a problem if you're not checking him out in the locker room. It's like, right, right. Me. why doesn't he want to look at me? You know, that kind of <laughs> thing. So, you know, gay male athletes kind of, so what? And lesbian athletes, that one's even easier, isn't it? It's like, oh, wow, you're a lesbian. Yeah, me too. Well, duh, surprise, we're athletes, right? <laughs> you know, and, you know, they make teams and families together and they go off and make babies together and stuff. So for gay and lesbian athletes, all good. Transgender athletes, you are trying to put literally a square hole in a round peg, a round peg in a square hole. And there is no easy answer and there never will be an easy answer. And this 
I tell my students, this is like the abortion debate. It's never going away. Right. Because, you know, there is no, there is not just a polarization of sides. There's a whole continuum of ideas about this, you know, and at the fundamental level, everybody knows that, you know, you're killing something, you know, you may be killing three cells, you know, at some point, everybody calls out a human. And so, you know, it's never comfortable. So there's always going to be a diversity of opinion and there's always going to be the pro and anti-abortion movement that will never, ever, ever go away. Right. Um, and it's the same with transgender athletes because essentially, you know, we've come to realize that there are more than two sexes. Now, you know, it's the, the kind of, the amount of people who don't fit into the male or female category is very small, but they exist, right? They're, they go by many names, intersex is one of them, right? And, um, and so what do you do with them, right? You know, they're neither male or female or they're both or however you want to look at it. And then you got people who trans from one gender to the one sex to the other sex, right? So now, so we look at the male side of it and we go, right. So female athlete transitions becomes male. Nobody cares. Right. Because you're in the good, you're in the good league, right? You know, good luck competing against the professional <laughs> players, right? You know, <laughs> it's the other way that we care about. And, um, and so I'm just, I'll just give you a little story here, right? True story in Connecticut, two years ago, I believe it was on uh, these two transgender females go from running on the boys sprint team to the girls sprint team. Right now, interesting thing about transgender is years ago, people would trans would transition, they'd figure out their transgender later in life, they'd transition, it would take years, they would do surgeries and hormones, right? By the time they, by the time they actually became a woman, um, you know, their athletic days were long gone. Right. But we finally gotten into the point where we're like, well, why should you have to take drugs? Why should you have to take, have surgeries to be considered a woman? Like, you know, and so I'm, I'm of this ilk, right? You know, if Galen said right now that I consider myself a woman, I say, fine, I don't care, great, wonderful, you know? <laughs> I don't go from Galen to Gale. I don't care. Whatever you want. It ain't going to make a hill of difference, right? To Gale. <laughs> so, come on, Gale. Get with it. So, you know, why should you have to, why should you have to operate? Why should you have to go, you know, take hormones, that kind of thing? So, so these two, uh, these two athletes, they compete on the women's team and they haven't transitioned uh, medically, right? They're not, they're not taking us estrogen, um, and even if they do, they have huge legacy, we call it legacy advantages. There is clearly no doubt that physiologically um, they have, they have a benefit here and they won the state championship first and second place in the state championship. Fuck. You've got, you've got cisgender or, you know, girls who are not trans who are decrying like how unfair this is. Um, and if you can't empathize with that, well, then you're an asshole. Like if you right. can't understand how a 15, 16, 17 year old girl could be mortified that she's worked for years thinking she was going to be the fastest in the state. And then two, what she considers to be biological boys come along um, and, and take those positions, you, you know, then, you know, you have no empathy in your body if you can't, if you can't feel bad for them. But on the other hand, you've got these two girls who uh, are biologically male who have had horrific experiences, horrific childhood, being told they're a boy, being told to act a certain way, right? Wanting to be a girl, um, you know, all of that. 
they finally have the guts to, to, to do this and they start running for the girls team, the team that they feel that they belong on, like that's where their body belongs. And then to have people tell them that they don't belong there. And uh, in these interviews on this, one of the, the parents of one of the transgender girls says, says, you know, everybody's up in arms about whether they deserve to win the state meet or not. And the dad laughed and he said, you know, as the dad, that's whether they should be on the state final podium or not. That's the hundredth concern I have because he's worried that his daughters are going to get their shit kicked out and that they're going to get raped, that they're going to get beaten, that they're going to, right. You know, Great. and it puts it into perspective, doesn't it? It's like, so what if they've won the hundred meter dash? Right. So what you're going to have, is you're going to always have the situation. So, you know, I, I am perfectly willing to recognize anybody's whatever gender they want. And if you flip flop day to day, I don't give a crap. Right. Fine. Don't care. Right. Shouldn't matter. So you've got this rapper. I don't know if you saw this one, but this guy's I forgot his name, but he's a kind of a famous rapper, more famous now. And he goes, uh, my name is so-and-so, right? You know, uh, well, now I identify as female. And he goes down and he lifts. And he goes, boom, I've just broken the women's world record in the deadlift. Um, and he goes, eh, I don't think I identify as female anymore. I'm still, I, I, I identify as male now. And he, of course, he was taking the piss out of, out of this ability to self-identify. Right. Um, but from my perspective, because I'm willing to believe anybody's whatever sex they want, I don't care, right? I'm willing to go with your genders. Anything you want, I don't care then yeah, he holds a world record, done. And I know, he's I know he's full of shit, right? I know that. Um, but you know, if he said he was, I'm not gonna doubt him. I'm not gonna get in the business of denying people when they say, I feel male. Fine, you feel male. You wanna call yourself male, fine. I'm not gonna get in the business of denying that. So what you're gonna have now is a situation where like, oh, well, you know, the hundredth best tennis player in the world for men, oh my God, well, I could go play on the women's team. Wimbledon pays the same payout for male and female victories. That's a whole different story, right? It's also female now, <laughs> done, right? Walk away that 1.2 million or whatever it is, you know? Um, this is going to happen. This is absolutely going to happen. It is already happening. What yeah, do you the do difference, about The difference about that is that like if some dude that's like decent at tennis is like, oh, I'm gonna just be a chick now. There's no way that dude's gonna go out and beat, you know, Serena Williams or whatever, who's just elite, like who could probably beat most of the men. Like that's not, I think it's different between professional sports and like high school sports. Whereas like I could just identify as a chick, I would fucking clean ass, you know, Sarah Baxter who, you know, but- uh, There is like such, so I'm gonna tell you why you're wrong here. Okay. okay. There is such a phenomenal difference between the distribution of male athleticism and female athleticism that England's World Cup winning super duper mega football, we call it, you call it soccer champions, right? They lost a soccer match to an American high school boys team. What? Yeah. Think about, think about this. What's the world record for the women's mile? Uh, I think it's like 440 something. No, it's like 414. Oh, is it? Yeah, like 414. I mean, maybe it's slightly oh, faster. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm, I'm so wrong. You're right. How many high school boys can run 414? A lot. A lot, right? I mean, not, not a lot like, you know, you're not going to run into one of Dunkin' Donuts, but, you know, there's a lot in the country every year that run that. And that's the fastest woman ever. So actually, yeah, you could get some, some high school boy could be like, I only ran 412. I couldn't make the state meet. So <laughs> I'm going to say I'm a girl. 
I'll win the state meet. I'll break the women's world record in the mile. I'll get a full college scholarship to Stanford. Uh, you know, I'll win the Olympic gold medal, you know, and then when I'm all done with it, I'm going to say I'm male again, you know, and that can be done. And I got to be honest, you, you'd be kind of an idiot not to do it in a way, right? If you had that talent, why not? You know, it's money out there to be had. <laughs> yeah. But do you think that that could actually like go down, go down? You don't think that there'd be so much backlash that they would institute some sort of rule? The problem is, what rule do you institute? That is the problem. It's like, how do you, what, what do you do? How do you, how do you, you know, how do you do this stuff? Like, nobody can come up with a rule that everybody goes, that makes sense. That's logical. It is exactly the same as the abortion argument. What rule do you come up with? Right? You can say, okay, the first three months, then the next three months under medical thing only, right? But these are just arbitrary things and they're constantly contested. And they don't make everybody happy. So, you know, most people are not happy with, you know, the six month abortion thing. You know, it's like, ooh, big people go, whoa. You know, when you tell them that actually it's legal up to six months in many ways, they go, whoo, six months. Six, six months is kind of a long time. That's kind, it's of, kind a, of a long time, isn't it? Right. You know? So, no, so, you know, yeah, there's this, you know, there's this scale where, you know, some people are like, no, ever, never, not sell to sell. That's it, done, never. Right. And other people are like, well, from the moment it comes out, it's a human. But while, you know, on the on the nine month mark, you know, the day before delivery, it's not human. But the vast majority of people are going to sway in there somewhere. And yeah, there's just no rule. There is no rule that is going to make everybody happy. It's not going to happen. Yeah, because I mean, with abortion, I mean, I don't mind it, you know, like up to a certain point. But I mean, six months, dude, that's a long fucking time. Long time. And I'll tell you another thing about abortion is. Um, everybody flip-flops on it. Like people, you know, like so many parents are against abortion until their own daughter gets pregnant, you know? Right. You know? you know, and a lot of men are like, yeah, you're pregnant, just get an abortion unless they've already had kids. But you know, when you've had kids and you see that little photo, you know, I find this amazing, right? Like I got photos I can show you my little kids when they're these little jelly bean looking things, right? You know, before, before nasty human beings were throwing peas at them and soup plantation, <laughs> which is now defunct by the way because of covid but um you know when you when you're looking at that little thing and you're like that's ryan like that's my little boy ryan hey garrett's you know, the cute one yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, ryan's the handsome one right? um, <laughs> when you look by the way they're both great runners now which you know i'm not pressuring them to be a runners but they both love running um but when you look at that you kind of go like that is my son you know and so then if I had a daughter and she got pregnant, you know, and you'd be like, that's, that's my grandkid in there, you know? And, you know, right. it, it's, it gets more emotional. It gets more complicated. I feel like it's different because of the process that you guys had to go through. Whereas if I just accidentally knocked up some chick, I wouldn't have had some sort of emotional attachment to that, you know, image. True. Yeah. And, I, and my argument is like, I'm, I'm pro-abortion. Um, uh, and I think that the, that the laws are, uh, you know, about right, you know, um, but I'm not easily pro-abortion. Like it's a nasty business, you know, I think it should be done. And I think the, the real problem is if you don't allow it to be legal, then what happens? You've got bigger problems, right? Cause women who want abortions, they're still going to get one. Yeah. So if it's not legal, it's like drugs, like, you know, I'm, I'm totally in favor of the legalization of drugs, but it doesn't mean I'm going to do LSD. Right. Right. But, People want it, you know, they're going to get it. And so, so I don't think for practical reasons, it should be outlawed. 
Um, but you know, I'm, I'm not comfortable with it. You know, I don't like the idea, but sometimes it's the lesser of two evils, perhaps. Sure. Yeah. I'm glad I wasn't aborted. I was adopted. So I'm glad I wasn't aborted because it wasn't legal when I was, when I was coming up in the womb back in the day, when I was in the hood, hanging out with the placenta, I was like, yeah, man, that abortion's not legal, man. Because you know, that coat hanger would be coming up to get me about right now. (laughs) Uh, so there was like, you said you didn't come out until you were 25. Yeah. Did you lose your virginity to a chick or a dude first? Uh, that's a, that's, that's a good one. Um, so I, most people would probably say a chick, right? A girl first, because um, that's who I had sex with first. But it, it's an interesting one because, um, you know, the, there was, it was not equal playing field in my, in my relation with her. Um, you know, by today's venue, by today's cultural lens, a lot of people would look at that and say, that, you know, that's a form of rape, that what she did was, was pretty, yeah, by today's well, let's lens. Let's hear the story then. Well, the story is like, you know, I, uh, you know, we became good friends. Um, we were both, uh, we were both at Fountain Valley. We we're both teachers. At Fountain Valley. So this is the story that I have written down. This was this, uh, the student yeah. teacher or whatever. Student teacher. And, um, and we became friends. Um, and I think, you know, I liked being her friend because we got on well, but also, um, you know, um, it, it gave me a little bit of a veneer of like, Hey, I'm pretending to be interested in this girl you know, which tells people I'm straight kind of thing. Right. Right. And so we hung out, right. You know, I remember one time I was driving her down the street and PCH and I passed one of my runners he was cycling along and he saw me with his girl in the car. And I was like, yes, like <laughs> maximum usage of girl in car. Right. Like he's looking going, Oh, Gumby's on a date. Like, Oh, you know, and then, you know, it's like gay suspicion lifted for another two months. Right. You know, um, and that's what you do when you're in the closet. You just, you keep, you, you have to build up your straight capital. Like, you know, you say some comment about some girl and that buys you a week. And then, you know, you, know, you just keep doing it. Right. At any <laughs> rate. Um, so yeah, we were in her, in her apartment and um, yeah. And I told her, I told her she was the first that I told her I was gay. And, um, and she, you know, and I, you know, I got to admit, I was pretty vulnerable. Right. I'm shaking. I mean, not, you know, I had, yeah, it was pretty hard to, pretty hard to say that. Um, and, um, but I told her because one, it was in her apartment late and some, for some reason, the lights kept getting dimmer and dimmer. Maybe I need to tell you something here. Right. You know, so I told her and then she did the, uh, well, how do you know you're gay if you've never been with a woman yet? And of course I'm thinking, this is so stupid. Like, how do you know you're gay? What do you mean? I've never been with a guy either. Like, what is that? You know, it's like, I you know, if you've never been with a woman, how do you know you're straight? Like, well, this right. is stupid thinking, right? You know, but it, so, you know, so it was a sort of a coerced thing, right? Like, oh, well, yeah, well, let's just have sex and it'll make you straight. So there's a little bit of hope, like maybe it will, but I really don't think so, but maybe it will, <laughs> you know, and kind of like, at any rate, so it didn't go well. Um, uh, it, went, it went fine for her. Um, didn't go well for me. I was like, i was like you know it's like it's like riding big thunder mountain and the train just isn't going anywhere and you're like something gonna happen here you know (laughs) are gonna leave the gate anytime soon was Um, she attractive yeah she's very attractive yeah 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 um was she though yeah i i've got a photo somewhere i could 
dig it up and show you. I'd have um, to see. I'd have to see. I think it's fair to say that my students thought she was pretty hot back in the day. Well, um, of course, that, you look at it and you go, wow, like, you know, 80s hair or 90s hair. Or right. <laughs> you know, like, whoa, what was that about? But, um, yeah, so, you know, so a bit of coercion. So, you know, so it wasn't a good experience. Uh, it did it did nothing for me whatsoever. Um, and then the next day, so, you know, it was dark because, like I said, the lights kept going down. So I left um, – <laughs> So I was like, okay, if we're going to do this, I guess I should take the stuff out of my pocket. So, you know, the wallet and did we have mobile phones back then? Well, I, like, I, I pulled the mobile phone out of my wallet, set <laughs> 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 the mobile phone down and the big crank for it back then, you know? And, um, and then, uh, you know, and, and there was some change in my pocket as well, you know, pocket full of change. That's a song. He's in a pocket. Anyhow. And then I put the pocket full of change on the side of the, of the bed and, um, when I got up, when it was all over, it's like, whew, thank God, the, you know, uh, <laughs> the rain has stopped. I can leave now. Um, you know, I, I put everything back in my, my, in my pockets, but I forgot the pile of change because, you know, it was dark, which was also a fortunate thing for me. But anyhow, that's another story. Uh, <laughs> and, and, um, and yeah, um, next day she comes, she comes into my class and she, and she, pulls out the change and she plops it down on the desk in between classes and break. Right. And she, and she literally says like with anger in her voice, I am not a prostitute. And I just thought like, Oh, Holy shit. Like who coerced who into doing this? Um, you know, and it was quite obvious to her that she enjoyed it. And for very obvious reasons, I didn't. And, um, you know, and, and so, but it was kind of like a wake up call. It was kind of like, well, shit, if this is what women are like, I'm glad I'm gay. <laughs> I think that no. it's hilarious. That, no, I think it's, it's like, it was, that- it was like a horrible thing. And I was really, I and mean, I never spoke to her again. That was it. Like never, that never, she, that was it. We were supposed to go to the prom. We we're going to supervise the Fountain Valley prom together. Whatever That didn't happen. Never. I don't know what happened to her. I've never seen her again. Never spoke to her again. Like, that's it. Like, because I left that change there, I was, you know, you know, I was a bad guy. Um, but it was kind of this unfortunate accident. It's like, maybe I need to come out of the closet. (laughs) (laughs) I think that it's hilarious that she thought that you were trying to like buy her pussy for like $2 and 75 cents. Like (laughs) change. Yeah. You know, like how much change can you actually have in your pocket? That's worth anything. You know, it's like the biggest, the biggest denomination is a quarter, you know, (laughs) if she thought she was a prostitute for two fifties, I'm now I need her number, Brett. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's crazy. That's so you, I think in your book or one of your books somewhere, I read that someone told you that you don't know that you're gay until you're 25. That's correct. But you don't, you don't think that's true. Well, fundamentally, I know it's not true now. Right. Right. Absolutely not true. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've known hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of gay boys who were out at 16, you know, or, you know, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, Absolutely. You know, it, that is as untrue as saying that, you know, there are no sports fans until you're 25. Right. Which is saliently false, right? But it was, uh, it, it came from my high school health teacher, uh, who I really quite admired a lot, uh, looked up to him a lot. And I think he knew, I think he knew about me. I think, I think he knew I was, uh, I hate the word struggling because, you know, but I mean, I think he knew. And I think he said that just to give me a pass some time away so that I didn't have to feel like I had to deal with this now. Right. And, and I think for the, for the day and the age that it was, 
um, it was probably very good because what, what it did is it kept me in the closet because well, I don't know for sure yet. I'm not 25, right? <laughs> it kept me in the closet and it kept me in the closet during the breakout of the AIDS crisis. So actually it may have saved my life. What do you mean? Well, what if Mr. Moore had said, you know, look, Gumby, I, I've known you for three years now. You know, I took his class as a sophomore. Then I sat in on his class as a junior and senior in high school. Like I always made sure I got a free period so I could sit in. Whenever I had a free period, I'd sit on his health class. And then I sat in on his class the first two years. I was going to university, studying a degree in health because I wanted to be like him, wanted to be a health teacher and this and that. And, you know, what if he'd said to me, you know, Gumby, I've known you for three years now. I think, you know, I think it's pretty fairly obvious that you're gay. Um, and I want to help you come out of the closet and be yourself and, and this and that, right? And support you and love you and all this and that. What if you had done that? What if I'd come out at 18 back then? We're talking 1984 here. They, they had just named AIDS in, or HIV in 84. They didn't even know what it was for the first couple of years that he knew me. So, you know, if I had come out and then started seeing guys and having sex, could have got HIV. Back then there was no cure for it. Could be dead. That's crazy. So I came out at 25. Um, and when I hit 25, there was a, there was a cacophony of events that happened that brought me out at 25. Um, one of them was Mr. Moore, right? Because there was no internet. I couldn't Google shit back then. I couldn't be like, right. You know, how do you know when you're gay, you know, you <laughs> could just go to the Huntington Beach high school library and pull out a book on homosexuality. Right. You know, I couldn't talk to the gods, you know, I mean, who do you, <laughs> Who do you talk to, right? You know, who, how do you find out information about being gay without coming out back then, right? Right. Um, it just wasn't possible. So, so it's 25 and uh, a whole cacophony of things led me out of the closet. One of them was like, well, you know, Mr. Moore said, you don't really know till you're 25 and I'm 25 and nothing has changed all my life since I was nine. Nothing, these feelings haven't changed. Um, and so, yeah, it was one of the things that brought me up. But by the time I came out of the closet, not only... Uh, do we know what HIV was, but we knew it killed you. And I was a high school health teacher and I was literally teaching my kids about, you know, VD and STIs or whatever you call them. We call them VD back then, STDs back then. Um, I mean, literally that class that that girl I told you about with a pocket full of change, I was literally teaching them about HIV. Right. And, and so I knew about it. Right. So it may have prevented me from getting HIV. It may have very well saved my life being closeted through that tumultuous period. 1982 to 1986 was an incredibly deadly period for gay men. That's crazy. When it, you was were getting... the, it was like the COVID of today, right? Like <laughs> this thing started to happen. It took longer because uh, it doesn't manifest for months or years until you've had it, right? Right. But so like there was this thing going on and like, what the hell is this? And they called it like, gay related something, you know, and nobody really knew. And then, then it kind of might be, might be sexually related, you know? And then it wasn't until like 86 before the government was like, right, we know what this is. We know how it spread. Um, but even then there was the deniers, like the COVID deniers and the, you know, the anti-maskers right. and all of that, you know, it was like, you know, there was, there was all of that. And a lot of gay men resisted this. They're like, this is made up. The government's just trying to shut us down. You know, there is no such things as this. And there was a lot of misinformation. Again, there was no internet to go to. Um, and so it really wasn't until like 1988 before people kind of knew what this was and it wasn't a hoax. So it may have saved my life. That is kind of crazy thinking about that because there's people that are COVID deniers now 
uh, and we have the internet, we have all these videos of people like dying. We have all this information. Whereas, you know, like you said back then there was no internet. And then like, unless you fucking knew someone that had it, you're like, yeah, that could be made up, you know, that's it. That's it. Or it won't be me. I'm too, I'm a runner. I'm too healthy, you know, it, right. it can't be me or, you know, or, or whatever. And so, um, yeah, so I, you know, it's, it's very, very possible that, um, that it, that he saved my life. When you Very were getting nice. all the press for, for back at HB, uh, for the whole, that whole thing, did anybody like hit you up? Be like, uh, or like anybody like to be like, I saw you on TV. I'm gay too. Like we should meet up any of that type of shit. There's a guy right now and he is, um, he is three floors up from me <laughs> and he's been with me for 23 years now and whatever it is. And, uh, yeah, that's that guy that you're talking about. My husband. Oh, okay. I was like, <laughs> yeah, it, it literally happened. Like there's a, you know, I was just this high school coach and there's a senior in high school and he, uh, he emailed me because we did have email. It was AOL, you know, dur, dur. you don't even know. AOL. <laughs> you know, have you ever heard those sounds? Dur, 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 dur. Sure. No, you don't even know. Uh, what I know what AOL is or was, but I, yeah. I don't know those sounds. So like the first days of the internet, you had to basically, you had to take your iron, right? You know what an iron is, right? For shirts. Yeah. You had to take that and you had to plug it into your phone. And then you had to like, you know, get your giant computer out with like, you know, the winds of sails on it or whatever, and plug that into the iron. And it made this horrible, horrible screeching noise. And then you were on the internet, which was slower than molasses. And of course you couldn't be on the telephone and the internet at the same time. At any rate, there was this thing called email, <laughs> which is a really backwards way of communicating because you used to be able to just pick up the phone and call someone and say, Hey, what's up? But now you go like this for 10 minutes, right. To say, Hey, what's up? And anyway, <laughs> um, he emailed me and I, 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 I could go get the email right now. I've got the email. Really? Like, hey, are you the coach Gumby? Blah, blah, blah. If you are far out, I read about you, this, that more power to you, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, yes. Yeah, so, uh, we met and we started, a. His senior year in high school, I was like his mentor. We started a gay straight alliance at his high school, that kind of thing. And then, um, strangely enough, one of my runners uh, met me with him the first time. And uh, when we left, he said, Coach, uh, I could see you with him. And I was like, Oh, come on, you know, he's 17. No, he was actually 18 because he was held back here. I was like, Come on, he's 18, you know, I'm 25. Whew, huge age difference, you know? Yeah. As a 52 year old, you look back and you go, yeah, so, you know, but you know, <laughs> back then, it, you know, oh my God, you know? Um, and, and, and he, my runner is just like, yeah, so like you taught me to be liberal. You taught me to accept people for who they are. So who right. cares what it is, right? You know, I was like, well, that's a good point, but you know, I'm still going to get arrested, you know, even though he's 18. You know? um, so um, we worked together for like the next year. And then finally I was going to go off and do my PhD and he was going to bachelor. He was going to go do his bachelor's degree, and uh, he chose to go to UCLA. I did some my PhD at UCLA, and we've been together ever since. That's crazy. I met my husband. If it wasn't for all of that, I wouldn't have met my husband. And we've you know twenty three years. I mean, shit. Imagine that. I mean, we got together in a time in which we never thought gay marriage was ever a possibility, let alone. Yo, know, it's going to happen someday. That was just not on our radar. That was like that. This is never going to happen. People will not accept this. And then we've been married four times in four different States. And yeah. And now today, like, you know, gay people are rushing to get married. Straight people are rushing to not be married. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
Um, and today it's just like, duh, of course gay people can be married. And I, I can't, I can't tell you how bizarre it is to think back to what it was like in high school and to now sit here and go, not only do I have legal equality, full legal equality, but cultural equality. And I've had it for over a decade. Like you knew me over a decade ago right. as a high school runner when, when people didn't give a crap that I was gay. And it's like, we went from the frying pan to being totally cool in like 10 years. It's just insane. It's crazy. So fast. Um, so yeah. Would you ever have thought like back then that you would have thought that it would have been all worth it in the end? Okay. So this is a bit, a bit corny. Um, right. I, I do wish like, you know, this is, a, this is, this is very gratuitous. Um, but you got, you know, you got to realize that like, I never thought I'd be able to come out. I thought I was going to have to marry a woman and have a kid. I dated a woman who had a kid so that I wouldn't have to have sex with her to make a kid. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I just thought, great, here it is. Here's the package. Um, and this was a different woman. And every date I've ever gone on has been horrible. Like, I just don't, I'm sure maybe it was just the girls I was on dates with, right? But like, I took this one girl to the Disneyland hotel restaurant right? In my Camaro and, uh, bought her, she ordered the surf and turf, right? You know, I was like 20 years old. Like, you know, how am I supposed to afford that? And then she ate like a fifth of it. <laughs> like, fuck that's, you know, that's like a month's salary for me, you know, at any rate. Um, and then you know, I, I did have a good date, Galen. I did. Okay. Okay. I had a date once with this girl. I was not I, like, I knew obviously I wasn't attracted to any girls, but you know, she was not visibly attractive, but Man, we laughed our butts off. We had such a good time. And then, um, but never dated again. And then three, four, five years later, I was on a panel about gays in sport. And uh, I came walking into the room and she was sitting up on the panel. She was dating me in order to tell people, in order to signal that she was straight when she was lesbian. I was dating her in order to signal to people I was gay, you know? <laughs> That's crazy. Did you guys talk about it? We were both, you know, like neither of us really wanted to date weird. At any rate. Um, so yeah. Did you so talk about so, it. No, I, I don't even remember her name anymore, but I saw her up there. I just broke down laughing. If I walk into a, it was an OCC, right? I walked into a classroom and there she is. <laughs> just like, <laughs> You know, I just like, oh, and she started busting up and everybody's like, what the hell's going on? And we're just like, you know, we dated, like, you know, and, you know, um, okay. But the, but the sadder story is, you know, uh, high school was horrible. Uh, I mean, high school was really, really, really horrible. Um, and, um, and I remember there was this one day I just tried to kill myself. I tried to drive the car. I had this stupid parents never buy your kids fast cars. Right. Um, four kids. I remember when I was in high school, four kids from Fountain Valley died. Parent bought one of the kids a car for Christmas. And you know, that speed bump on uh, Talbert, um, it's like, he goes over a little drainage ditch. Yes. You know yes. That? He hit that going, he got his new fast car, got, got it going over hundred miles an hour, whatever it was. Oh, shit. went up that came down and you know, four kids from Fountain Valley died. Um, at any rate, so high school was horrible. 
And there was this time, you know, I, 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 you know, I tried to kill myself in the car. We call it champ suicide. Um, obviously I'm here, so it didn't work. <laughs> uh, and then, and then I broke down crying. I was, I was literally, I pulled the car over the side of the road and I was just crying my eyes out. And I just had this, like this vision that like this angel, now I'm not religious or didn't believe in, never have believed in God, but like, that, like this, this person would knock on my window and, and I envisioned that this person was a woman because I think, I think if anybody was going to be gay friendly, it was going to have to be a woman because I didn't know any man that was gay friendly ever. Right. Um, and so this woman knocked on my window and I just had this like this bizarre vision that, you know, that she would just, she spoke nicely to me about it and was like, you know, you're going to be all right. That kind of thing. Um, and it was this pivotal moment. I made this creature up in my head, obviously. Right. right. But kind of like after that, I decided, yeah, I'm not going to kill myself because of this. I'm going to go on. I'm going to, I'm going to just channel my efforts and succeed, which is why by 25, I'd written my first book and bought a house and had a master's and was this great coach. Right. Cause I was, I was driven to succeed. Um, I would, I wish I could have gone back to that 16 year old in that car sitting there and knock on the window myself. Really? Now. Yeah. And say, you know, do you recognize this? Like, <laughs> and just to say like, dude, you know, this being closeted thing now, it's going to make you a great coach. It's going to make you a published author about being a gay coach. It's <laughs> going to make you, it's going to give you international fame on TV and you're going to travel the world and you're going to meet this guy that you're going to travel the world with. And then you're going to do a PhD and you're going to become Dr. Gumby. <laughs> and then, you know, you're going to, you're going to move to England you're going to publish 20 something books. You're going to have, you're going to have two children. And by the way, they're going to be your own biological children that aren't even, you know, by the way, I love adoption, obviously, but you know, back then, like how on earth would I have my own biological children? Cause we didn't right. have these technologies. Um, and you're not going to have to have sex with a woman and <laughs> you're going to have really hot guys. And you know, every, and then someday everybody's going to love you for being gay. And you're going to be on this podcast with this guy named Galen, right. Which is really going to be gay. And <laughs> uh, you're going to, you know, you're going to have this amazing fucking life, which I do. Right. You know, I mean, I've got, I, what else do I need? I've got health. I've got wealth. I've got happiness. I got great kids. Right. Like what else do I need? You know, um, I can still run the mile in 620 Galen. Can you do that? Yes, I can. I ran a four forty the other. I ran a four forty the other day. <laughs> well done. Good off, off no training. That that's impressive. That is well, talent. It wasn't no training. I ran like off and on for like a month, but and it was like the first time. It, it's weird how that works out. How it's like that first time after not running for a little bit is like always beast as shit, and then you feel it like like if I were to do it a week later, I wouldn't. You know, like that's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like I would run, if I tried it again, it would be like a five thirty. you know, it would be like, it was yeah, just, yeah. just that one time that, uh, but I have two more, uh, questions. And one of them was actually, if you could go back in time, uh, like, and, and not tell yourself what you just said, but it, give yourself one piece of advice and then disappear. Like what would be like the one piece of advice that you think would resonate the most? Yeah. <sighs> Well, I, I think it'd be the same advice that, that I came up with myself sitting in that car, which was channel your energies. Like, you know, you can't focus on your sex life. So go for that professional life. 
um, because that's ultimately what gave me everything that I have now. So I don't think the course would be any different. I, I, I will tell you this. I had, um, I had this, this horrible feeling. Like whenever I saw it, you know, you know what you said, like you said to me, like, you know, it was on Slate or whatever running. I right. saw some, oh, that guy's hot. Right. The thing is because I couldn't say that forever until I was 25, I couldn't say that. But even then I was coaching high school runners. So I couldn't say those things because, right. you know, you know, people, you know, so, um, I was still closeted. Right. So then by the time, like by the time you knew me, oh, hold on, give it was me a like, sec. yep. How do I, how do I decline this shit? Ah, just let it ring. All right. Hold on. How do I, how do I make this fucking full screen again? Oh, there we go. What the fuck? Are you still here? Yep. Can you hear me? Yeah. What the fuck is going on? I can't. Uh, everything looks the same to me. It's just like a little fucking box now. Oh, here we go. God damn it. I hate that with that. It connects the uh, FaceTime audio straight to the fucking. Now I can't even make it big anymore. God damn it. Fucking Amy, you bitch. Um. I can't even, I can talk. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely fine. Yeah. Everything on this end is absolutely is the same. So if it's still recording then don't worry about what it looks like on your end. I have no idea if it's still recording. Cause it's, let me exit full screen and then re-enter full screen. Yeah, take your time. If you go I'm, offline, I'll tell you you're offline. Why the fuck? That was a joke by the way, but you can't, you can't process that because your brain is focusing on the problem. It's still recording, but Oh, here we go. Fuck. All right. All right. There we go. It's still recording. Yeah. Fucking bitch ass. Like, all right. So, um, so at any rate, so when I'd see a good looking guy, like, so I would say it out loud, right. Because I couldn't. And it right. sort of became like this thing, like, you know, like I compare it to, you know, if you raise a dog and you leave the garden or the backyard gate open all the time, it doesn't have a particular desire to run out the gate. But if you never right. let it out the backyard ever, every time that gate's open, it's going to run forever more, right? Right. And that's the way I'm about when I see a good-looking guy and saying it, it's because of that. But I also get this this feeling, this sort of like yearning, like it's a biological, like you know, obviously I'm sexually attracted to him and I want him kind of thing. But there's also this profound sadness with it, and it it really sucked. I mean, it was not a pleasant feeling. It's like, um, and I, I got this friend who's a, a neurobiologist, and uh, and I was telling him about it once, and he said. He said, next time you feel that, that feeling, recognize that that feeling is what made you who you are. Like your whole life has been driven in one direction because you're attracted to guys. Right. Like that's, that, and that's everything, everything you are and what you've become and everything you have is because of that. And he said, so the next time you feel that, recognize it and thank it. And I thought, okay, what kind of corny shit is this? Right. You know, <laughs> give me a pill. Right. You know, <laughs> um, and, uh, and I did. And about a week later, um, never got the feeling again. That's crazy. And so I think there is that, that awareness. Like if I, if I could knock on that window to 16 year old, I would say, you know, life sucks right now. Focus on your career. It'll all work out. If you were to go back into like the, the shoes of yourself in that car and someone yourself knocked on it and you got to ask your future self one question, what do you think you would have asked? I think I would have just been so shocked to even see me alive. <laughs> <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> um, yeah, I probably would have asked if I'm 
ever going to like have love, like, you know, a boyfriend. Oh, that's thing. gay. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> you know, cause I kept falling in love with my best friends. Uh, I got you. All, all, uh, ever since I was eight, it was always, it was, gee, why are Eric's friends always cute? You know, <laughs> um, and, you know, I was, and so I was, so I was madly in love with all of my best friends. It's like in high school when my best friend, like when he got, a, when he got a girlfriend, it was just, I was just like, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I was doing boyfriend. I wasn't having sex and I wasn't saying I love you. And I wasn't physically in any way, but I was doing boyfriend rule. And, you know, he was doing friend role. Right. That, that sucks, man. That stuff. Unacquainted love, man. That stuff sucks. It hurts. I feel like. And, uh, yeah. I feel like if, I said, I feel like if myself went back to the back then, I would just ask myself, like, who wins Super Bowl 50 or something? Just yeah. like, like bet on yeah. it or some shit. Like, like I don't even. Yeah. Fuck if I'm alive when I'm 30. Like, who wins Super Bowl 50 so I could make some money and enjoy those two years? <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the joy of having an unproblematic life. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah, you don't have to ask yourself, am I ever going to get out of slavery? You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last thing, let's talk about your kids, man. Like that's, that's crazy. How old are they now? They are eight twin boys, eight years old. I remember they and, were fresh out. Yeah. They, yeah, me too. Like yesterday. Um, I'll tell you what I remember mostly is when they were born, I was running with the varsity. And then a year later, I was still running with the varsity. And then the next year I was running the JV and the next year, the sophomores and then the freshmen. And then like, you know, by the time your brother came around, I was like, uh, yeah, I'm a good runner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I remember. Cause man, kids wear you out. Oof. And those creatures, they know how to suck the life out of you. Aren't they like super freaking smart? I see some of your posts and I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah. Um, so you know, people watching this, they, they may, they won't know. I mean, you know right. Most people still know how gay men come. There's so many ways that gay men come into kids these days. Ours were made literally in a lab. Um, we took the eggs from one of my friends. Um, so they've got her genetics in it, which is really kind of a privileged genetics. Um, she's uh, a, a really good top-notch athlete. She's got a master's degree from USC. Her brother is a uh, surgeon. Her, her, um, her sister's a surgeon. Her dad was a surgeon. No, he's an engineer, PhD engineer. So brilliant, you know, brains galore. But then also her brother was an Olympic water polo player and her dad was an Olympic swimmer. So brawn galore, right? Um, and then um, we took my sperm. We didn't use Grant's sperm because he's had a pretty serious cancer in the past. We, didn't, we thought it might be genetically linked. We didn't want to pass that on. So we used my sperm. Um, we put him into the eggs. It was like 12 of them. Uh, when there are five cells big, we took one cell from each one and we spun it um, and did the genetics on it. And we got a genetic profile on each kid. So we what? knew whether they were going to be boys or girls or what. We knew what diseases they'd be immune to, what diseases they'd be prone to, all sorts of things. And then um, we chose the two healthiest specimens, put them into a commercial surrogate. And nine months later, you're throwing peas at them at supplementation. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're doing very well. Like, um, like Ryan has this great ability to, um, to think quick on his feet. Um, like when you're watching movies, he's always wanting to go, just do that. And he's got the solution you know, right. instant. Um, he can do the Rubik's Cube in less than a minute. He's only eight. 
And you know, a lot of kids who can do the Rubik's Cube, um, you know, they, they lose the social abilities, right? They gain smarts mathematically and all that, but they're not, you know, they lose the, you know, the social side. Right, right. The emotional side. That's not a that's not a problem with him, right? He's got the whole spectrum covered. Um, and Garrett has this, this ridiculously insane memory that I mean, he remembers everything. I could, if I ask him if he remembers someone throwing peas at his face when he was one years old, he'd remember it. He'd uh, tell you where he'd tell you what you were eating. He's like Martin. You know how Martin remembers everything. He's like yeah. Martin, really, really smart. So, yeah, they're you know they're they're standout at the school. They've got great friends. Uh, they're just part of the community. Like there's no such things as bullying for having gay dads. That's like, you know, other kids have literally said, what? You've got two dads and two moms. I want two dads and two moms. Yeah. <laughs> it's like reversed on them. Um, so yeah, their, their life is just fucking, that's amazing. It's just how amazing. Did, Go on. How much did that whole process like cost? Cause I know that like, per kid. No, uh, for the total package, it'd be a lot more today though. Um, because now they're not, they're not doing it. We put two eggs in. Um, they're not doing that anymore um, because the success rates are higher with just one embryo. So, um, so you have to hire two surrogates. Um, so yeah, it'd be a lot more to be about, we figured it'd be about probably double the price today. Also, also because of inflation and all that, but yeah, uh, 120,000, but you know, and, okay. So that's a lot of money, right? Sure. You know, um, but what better things to spend money on than kids? Right. Right. You know, I think that's I great. Buy myself, buy myself a Lamborghini, but you know, it's going to rust and lose its value the minute I draw, drive it off the lot. Right. I can buy another house, but you know, how many do I need? How many houses do I need? You know, I've got one for a hundred K you could buy all that for a hundred K. Well, you put a down payment on, well, yeah, you can in Kansas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you get the idea. Like, you know, like, I'm doing great. Like, what, why right. would I not spend this money on these kids? And so um, best purchase we ever made. Now, obviously, they're more than just a purchase. Um, but there's a little bit of humor there, right? You know, best purchase we ever made. But I uh, definitely don't want to be taking them back to the store. I got my money's worth. That's awesome, man. Thanks for being on the podcast. As, I, uh, as we wrap it up, I always leave the final minute or two to the guests to say whatever, do whatever, plug whatever. So, like, this next minute is all you, man. Nothing to plug. Uh, if any of your listeners want to, uh, you know, read any of my books, they can just email me at professor Eric. Well, just go to my website, ericandersonphd.com. Uh, I'm happily to send them, happy to send them a free PDF of any of the books. Not a problem whatsoever. I think most important is I look, you know, I just want to get back to Southern California next summer and do some running with the team again. And, you know, enjoy some of the sunshine because I'm in England now. We don't have that, <laughs> um, you know, and just sort of be a coach again. Um, find my next wayward child like Galen Nash and help straighten them out. And, you know, it's, I think, you know, one of the best parts about being a coach is you get to see the product before it's finished. And then, you know, you get to see what they become and it's just awesome. Like, you know, if you're, if you're coaching, like if you're teaching little kids, it's too long and you forget them. Right. You know, it's right. like, have you as a kindergartner, you know, but like you guys are like, you're almost who you're going to be. Right. And, you know, I get to see you go off and then become who you're going to be. And yeah, how cool is that? Right. <laughs> so yeah, I, I hope that some of your listeners are Fountain Valley runners and I get to see them next summer. That's awesome. Thanks for doing it, man. Appreciate you. Thank you again. <laughs>